Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Hello, hello, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And today we're gonna speak all about the difference of the highly sensitive personality trait and autism spectrum disorder, specifically, a fad um, subsection of the autism spectrum disorder disorder diagnosis uh, called pathological demand avoidance. So if you are parenting a highly sensitive child who is struggling with their big emotions and you notice that they are hitting, kicking, screaming, melting down on a daily basis, or running away, hiding, isolating, and shutting down, then this video is for you if you're struggling to figure out what of of your child's behavior is inherent to their personality and what of your child's emotional experience is, is due to their personality. And then what behaviors are actually atypical for your child, for children the same age, and for highly sensitive children all together? And we'll, we'll speak about that today. Now, you might have already heard the difference between sensory processing disorder and autism. I've, this is not the first time that I'm talking about this um, from, from a scientific standpoint, from a mental health standpoint as well. And with that being said, we're gonna dive into a particular acronym, PDA, um, because I've mentioned it before in in various um, recordings and and trainings you've heard me say, however you're finding us, whether that be uh, here on on a podcast on on today's show, or if you've you've watched any of our YouTube videos or been in our Facebook group. So anyways, regardless of how you're getting to this message, what we're gonna talk a lot about today is how to understand the highly sensitive trait and to feel sure that you are on the right track to break any patterns of ineffective behavior without breaking the spirit of your child. And this is relevant for anyone going through the the realm and trying to weed through the the, um, messaging of mental health and psychology and the medical industry compared to, for for example, parenting and supporting your child and managing their big behaviors simply through your relationship with your child, especially if your child is eighth grade, US eighth grade or under, uh, which when we're speaking about being able to break this down, usually parents of sensitive kids have figured out that their kid fits the personality trait before they get to high school. With that being said, uh, here at MTC, we serve the gamut. And so I'm happy to talk about this and how this shows up for teens as well. So let's dive in. Now, again, um, we will make sure that that the uh, show notes and, and links for other trainings related to understanding the personality trait and sensory processing disorder, with it, which is different, and autism spectrum disorder, which is different uh, as a whole, those, those big larger categories. Today, we're gonna talk about uh, pathological demand avoidance, which is a fad subset of autism spectrum disorder. Now, the community, the autistic community, is really growing in making a, a large stand in understanding how psychology and traditional behavior management has significantly damaged the neurodivergent population of the autistic community. And so what I'm gonna do today is support you as you raise your sensitive child in understanding the difference between the personality trait of of sensory processing sensitivity. And uh, I'll try to 
Yeah, this is such an important topic. I get passionate. And when I get passionate, I talk too fast. <laughs> so I will try to make sure that this, uh, this conversation is digestible for you so that you understand where your child lies, where your child fits, and what to, to, to learn more about and how to break down those meltdown uh, cycles in a way that honors your child and, and doesn't put them in a box. And uh, does that in a way that helps you feel empowered to systematically change the behavior dynamics you see in your household. And we're gonna do that in a way that helps you understand how I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so let's break that down first and foremost. Now in this capacity and how you're hearing from me, I am a parent coach and mental health consultant. That means that I am not your child's therapist. I will never diagnose your child if we ever work together. With that being said, I am certainly qualified for a child walking into my therapy office and my group private practice or for any of my clinicians qualified to diagnose and, uh, and to, to acknowledge uh, whether or not a child fits the autism spectrum diagnosis as a, a mental health uh, field would, would call it right now still though the autistic community notices that being autistic is an identity and that is a big shift in the autistic community that is becoming more and more um, present now that the internet is as, as thorough as it is. Uh, but still right now in the mental health and medical industry, autism is still categorized as a disorder. So I'm gonna to try to um, acknowledge and be, be a, uh, identity affirming for the autism community and for, for autistic people and uh, do that in a way that keeps us focused on my area of expertise, which is the highly sensitive personality trait. Now, with that being said, I do have certifications in understanding autism and uh, not from a behavior management standpoint. And so I have had in, my, in the past uh, issued, if that's the right word, given the, the autism spectrum diagnosis for my clients because I have specific training that I was um, uh, blessed with early in my career. Uh, with that being said, most clinical therapists uh, whether they have a social work degree or a, a professional counselor degree like myself, don't diagnose autism. Typically, they refer out to a psychologist who will do a full uh, psychological evaluation or not. Um, they might just do a parent report and have a conversation with the child and diagnose. Um, and they might, if you refer to a neurological, um, a neuropsych, um, they, they would do a, a full neurological psychological evaluation. Um, and, and that is one option for parents to seek services in with an autism spectrum diagnosis diagnostic label. And with that being said, um, there are a select few uh, of clinicians who feel comfortable and have the experience as well as the, the training to understand the diagnosis clear enough to put it on paper and put their license under it. And I happen to be one of those people because of my experience. Um, the level of training and um, expertise that my supervisors held in my first position was unparalleled in uh, my community and the level of training um, was was extremely thorough and then that just compounded with the, the trainings that I received uh, in the early time of my career um, and and so I do feel confident putting my letters after a diagnosis of, of that uh, magnitude with that being said, um, my experience is not typical. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll name it. So if you are wondering whether or not your child fits the criteria for autism spectrum disorder, it is highly likely that if you speak with a mental health professional, they will, they will refer you to a psychologist who does psychological evaluations. Um, a developmental pediatrician might also diagnose um, autism spectrum disorder, depending on how old your child is. Uh, you, typically that's more appropriate for young children, or they would refer you to a neuropsychological evaluation. And a label of, um, of autism spectrum disorder would be most appropriately necessary for parents whose children have significant developmental delays and uh, you need an IEP, an individualized education plan, to ensure that your child receives significant supports in the school system so that they can meet appropriate developmental milestones on their own pace rather than upholding your child to a developmental milestone for a neurotypical child who does not 
fit the criteria for, for autism spectrum disorder, who is not autistic, and uh, as a result, uh, their, their learning track would be, would be different. Now, I'm going to try to stay focused on understanding that that is, uh, that the, the autistic community is something that I stay abreast on and I learn and it is not the um, expertise that I teach about here on this platform, on any of my platforms, because of the mission that we have on, on our hearts, which is to help parents of highly sensitive children eliminate suicidal thoughts, behaviors, and risky intentions and risky, risky impulses in order to eliminate suicidal thoughts and behaviors for the entire highly sensitive population. And so as a result, I have narrowed my focus to, um, to understand and help you understand the difference between autism and the highly sensitive personality trait. Now, on your journey, you might have understood or, 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 or come across a label called pathological demand avoidance. And that is what we're gonna talk about today. So the highly sensitive personality trait com is consistent of four components. And I will briefly overview those here because you can absolutely hear me spend half an hour or more uh, breaking those down for the, for the entirety of a show. And so I'm not gonna do that here. But the four components are depth of processing, and that is for emotions and, and thinking. Easily overstimulated, that is based on the vulnerabilities that your child is experiencing in that day and also the emotional sensitivities that they have. Emotionally responsiveness and high empathy. And you can see those counteract each other at times, uh, where a child is not able to, to demonstrate their empathy and act on their empathy if they are emotionally reactive in their responsivity. And then also sensitive to subtleties. And so when you hear all of these things, and sensitive to subtleties could be sensory intensity, like uh, an itchy sweater, right? And, and, and that kind of being the straw that breaks the camel's back for your child's intense emotions of the day. Uh, but tomorrow they're fine wearing the sweater because it's got a unicorn on it and they love unicorns and your, your, your kiddo is just thrilled about it, right? So it's not about the sweater. That's the sensitive to subtleties thing. Uh, or you, you change your tone and your child uh, struggles and has a meltdown as a result because they hear that slight intonation of exasperation in your voice, even if you didn't mean to, you were just tired that day. And, 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 and so again, the sensitivity to subtleties doesn't have to be a sensory intensity, uh, whereas typically those in the autistic community have consistent and uh, specific sensory intensities uh, that are also available uh, to, to be noticed in terms of consistency for children with sensory processing disorder. Um, and, and that's also an, another disorder that we're not going to tease apart today because I've done a video on this, understanding the difference between autism and sensory processing disorder uh, and sensory processing sensitivity. So when we look at pathological demand avoidance specifically, this subset can really trip you up because when you look at the intensity of a label, of PDA, we'll, we'll use that for short, <laughs> um, not the fun kind. <laughs> um, and I say that tongue in cheek, but also seriously, because pathological demand avoidance, PDA, has, a, has quite a damning, um, is quite a damning label for, uh, for, for, for children. And I'm gonna say that with definitiveness. I try not to curse these days. Um, and, and I can't see a way around it uh, with, 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 this, um, with this personality trait being mislabeled as PDA. And so we're going to cover that uh, clearly today because when those who have the, the behaviors that we talk about, you know, you've heard me say over and over again, every time uh, the, the intense daily emotional outbursts, uh, meltdowns, uh, sensitivities, and major behaviors that your child or teen is experiencing all of those are symptoms of the root problem that your child is stuck in shame, doesn't know how to manage their emotions, accept themselves for who they are, and doesn't feel understood, held, cared for, and guided effectively and efficiently by their parents. And I know that you, um, 
I hope that you hear me when I say that. There's no judgment behind those words. It is simply a mismatch in parenting. And when we understand that at its core, it is much more effective to instill hope for you and also systematically for our clients to, to, to get the results of eliminating that daily, those, that daily meltdown or shutdown cycle. And uh, whether that be for the parents that we work with directly for kids eighth grade and under, or the, we're working directly with teens and seeing that consistency for the teens and the parents together. And so my objective here is to help you clearly understand both tracks of understanding how a child uh, gets to this big meltdown intensity and then allowing you to, inviting you, <laughs> I don't allow you to do anything, you allow yourself to do whatever you want, um, inviting you to make a decision for yourself because the first and foremost understanding is to notice the pathological demand avoidance, though following a medical model, a psychology model of the uh, labeling a child with uh, from from a deficit of what they who they might be is not actually recognized in the mental health industry uh, documentation. There is no such thing as pathological demand avoidance in the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual that is used to bill insurance, that is used for hospital systems to communicate, that is used for um, for mental health providers to communicate with each other, okay? So it's really important. I use the word fad for a reason because this uh, track of understanding major behaviors that we've just discussed is misinformed and significantly lacking a ton of information on parenting sensitive children, how we eliminate these major behaviors consistently, efficiently, and effectively, and respectfully and to do that in a way that is loving, kind, playful, and actually creates an environment where you value your child's needs, understand them better, and help your child feel like they can be their best self and that they can live a meaningful life worth living. And PDA simply doesn't do that. And, and, and there are pretty significant gaps in the understanding of a child and how children develop when we use a label like PDA. And that's what I'm here to talk about today. That's the passion that I have around um, the internet <laughs> and how you might be going down a rabbit hole that significantly damages your relationship with your child. And I'm here to take a stand for that because what that does is it actually perpetuates ineffective behavior for your child, for your whole family, and fosters not just struggle, but pain in your household. And I am, I am, I am not here to, uh, to allow that to keep happening in our community, in our country, in, uh, in the world, right? So we're going to talk about this in, in, from an understanding of the international uh, spread of the use of PDA as a fad label and how this is damaging children. And I'm going to use that language because uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. This is significantly damaging to understanding the, chi the child's brain and the child and child development, and um, and it does nothing for the autistic community, uh, nothing, and uh, nothing good, I should say. And so, with that being said, um, I'm going to take a stand on that, even though this is you know this this platform isn't uh, to um, uh, isn't to educate or to, to 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 serve particularly the autistic community. With that being said, if I know something about something and uh, there's something going wrong in the world and uh, it, 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 it puts another community down, I'm not gonna stand for that either, especially if it's, it's semi-related to the community that we serve here at MTC. And so that's what we're gonna do uh, here today. So all of that to, to notice uh, the understanding of the criteria for autism spectrum disorder. As I mentioned before, uh, in, the in the mental health world, that is, is not something we'll dive in today, but I will cover PDA, okay? So let's talk about the history. Now, you've heard me uh, say that, that hi the highly sensitive personality trait, also known as SPS, that's what we're gonna call it here today to make sure that we're speaking scientifically today. Um, sensory processing sensitivity was coined by Elaine Aaron in the 1990s. With that being said, uh, the personality trait that humans are born sensitive was 
learned about in the 60s and published about in the mental health world in the 70s by Marsha Linehan. Just wasn't named that. And Marsha Linehan developed a treatment called dialectical behavior therapy that I'm trained in to support sensitive people who developed chronically suicidal and self-harmful behaviors. So ineffective behaviors, right? Major behaviors that we help prevent at, here at MTC. Uh, for, for families around the world, we've helped hundreds of families prevent this major these major behaviors and eliminate the, the initial signs of those major behaviors in their family dynamic. And so I'd like to think that I have something to say about this stuff and, we, and I've seen uh, how, how this can be changed uh, consistently uh, for families around the world. And so when we look at the track of pathological demand avoidance, and where that track of understanding the, the child's major behaviors of uh, refusing, as they, they call it, refusing demands, um, avoiding demands like um, brushing teeth, getting ready in the morning, going to school, all of that. Um, Elizabeth Newson in 2003 coined this term, pathological demand avoidance, and she, she's a clinical psychologist in the UK. And she put it in a subset of autism spectrum disorder. With that being said, it's very important that we understand the cultural context of the mental health system in the UK to understand how far behind the UK mental health system is to the United States system. And this is no knock on, I mean, like I said, we work with, with families internationally. We have clients in the UK, we have clients in Europe, we have clients in, in, um, in, in many countries, Israel, Australia, etc. So uh, Canada, around the world, and, and even in North, North America. And, and so with that being said, there's no knock on where you're coming from and how you're listening to us and how you get here. And it's also true that if your country's mental health system is behind, and, and, and I'm here learning from my country that is ahead, then we should, we should do some, we should understand a little bit more about whether or not us in the United States and, 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 and we're here, whether or not we should, we should put the understanding of child development on level playing field. With, um, with the understanding of, of the highly sensitive personality trait, right? Doesn't that make sense? Say for example, um, I mean, let's take, uh, let's take a medical um, example for this, right? If a, if a medical illness um, like smallpox, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of controversial for me to talk about right now, <laughs> given the climate, living in a pandemic, right? But here in, in the U.S., we have an understanding of how to eradicate smallpox. And if there was a subset of smallpox in another country that hadn't yet eradicated it, um, where they were, they were trying to treat it in a way that was, as, was less effective than how we treat it here in our country, then, and then people heard about uh, the subset of smallpox in our country, and um, we started to use that country's treatment of smallpox to treat an outbreak of smallpox in our country, we would be, um, I mean, it'd be all over the news. <laughs> hey, we have a cure for this. We figured it out, right? Like we know how to eradicate this and how to isolate the, 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 the population and, and, um, and eradicate this intense intensity. Now, I'm not talking about eradicating the highly sensitive personality trait at all. What I'm talking about is being able to eliminate suicidal thoughts for sensitive people. Why do suicidal thoughts happen? Why do risky behaviors happen? Because you think that your life is better non-existent, right? There's a clear invalidating and, 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 and dishonoring experience that our highly sensitive children are having day in and day out. And that's what's leading, leading to an, an epidemic of sensitive kids in therapy more often than non-highly sensitive kids. And in, and, and suicidal more often than non-highly sensitive kids. That's what I'm talking about eradicating, not your child's sensitivity. So let's make sure that we're clear on that. Um, and so, so right, logic, logic, like let's compare apples to apples, right? Apples to apples, um, the, the mental health stigma in the UK is significantly behind the mental health stigma in the United States as a whole. 
Now, obviously, there are many pockets of mental health stigma in the United States. We are still working on helping people be okay with seeking mental health support, with seeking parenting support, right, which is the avenue that, that we're talking to, uh, to prevent uh, childhood mental health disorders and, and track it on early, right, compared to just seeing that kids will be kids, saying that kids will be kids and saying that, that everything will, will be fine and, and children are fine even if they think that they want to die um, or they're engaging in risky behaviors and they're explosive at home because, because a parent doesn't want their child not only to, to get a label but seeing seeking support as a weakness, right? That that's the the biggest thing. That's a that's the main core of a of a stigma, is um, viewing seeking support as a as as not just a burden on other people, but a weakness in your own character. Okay, and highly sensitive people are not weak, and you as parents trying to eliminate this meltdown, this this massive meltdown behavior, uh, you're not weak either. You've been trying, right? And so when we look at the, the whole of, of the mental health stigma, and part of that, a key component of the mental health stigma in either country, UK or the US, is in thinking that a child's behavior is just that. It's just from their behavior. You're either a bad kid or a good kid based on your behavior. Maybe you're a little bit bad, maybe you're a little bit good, but if we just look at behavior um, and we label it as bad or good, then it's a lot easier to say, you don't need help, you're just a bad person. And so you shouldn't get that help and, and, and all that, right? And that's what stigma does. It tells, that you, tells you that you're weak, you're bad, you're wrong, there's something broken with you and, um, and, and inherently terrible. Um, and, and as a result, you should be ashamed and you should hide it, okay? So the UK and, and there are organizations in, in, in the UK that are working very tirelessly to break that mental health stigma and to bring to an understanding of what is effective mental health treatment and to get research moving and, and, and improve the mental health understanding and to learn from a country uh, that, that has um, done a lot of work in, in this area, like the United States, um, to, you know, to, 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 to raise the bar in what's appropriate. And it's also true but the facts are the facts, and as the time of this recording, the UK has a much more behaviorally, medically minded stigma around, um, around mental health. And so when we understand that this psychologist who is coming from the UK in 2003 is labeling these major ineffective behaviors like melting down, hitting, kicking, screaming, and, uh, and, and saying that your child is refusing to follow through on typical life requirements. And we grab onto that and say, yes, this is, this is new information. This is, um, this is cutting edge information that my child should, um, should hear. Really what we're doing is we're taking old information from a, um, from, a, from a less sophisticated understanding of mental health. And because it's new to our country, we're thinking it's cutting edge and we're thinking that it actually honors the autistic community. And so you as a parent can go down a giant rabbit hole um, with, with this quote unquote newfangled idea um, and, and can set yourself up for major challenge in trying to figure out, okay, what treatment would be appropriate for my child who now fits this PDA new subset, right? Um, this is the danger of following advice from behaviorally minded and medically mo modeled minded mental health professionals. Uh, that's specific related to following the, 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 the medical profession, um, including pediatricians who are often, and, I, and by, by often I say it is an anomaly and a rare for a pediatrician to truly understand that a child and their development is, um, and, and if their child is not developing effectively to the point where their emotions are safely communicated, then that's a child development and behavior communication problem, not a behavior problem that needs to be modified with rewards, timeouts, and, um, and, and you know, shaking your hand and no, no, no on that behavior and ignored, right? So the medical model treats the behavior as the problem, right? And, and, and so people with a PDA, children with a PDA label, 
would be followed down that track because that's just the way that the medical community thinks. There's a problem in front of me, the arm is bleeding, I stop the bleeding. What do I do? I figure out where the bleeding's coming from and I sew it up. But I don't really ask how the person got cut in the first place. Aside from just saying, hey, don't go, you know, playing with, with, uh, with saws, right? Uh, but the, but the child first understanding um, looks at a deeper, in a deeper pic picture. And when we, when we respect a child's big, intense behaviors and understand that that's because of a skill gap, they don't know how to skillfully communicate their needs in a way that actually gets their needs met, right? then we can truly understand why a child is behaving in a specific way and we can eliminate the root cause of that. And that's the work that we do here at MTC. So when we help our clients do that, we help parents understand that the intense behaviors that, that, that your child is experiencing is not because your child wants to manipulate you, not because your child even knows how to manipulate you, but when we read what Newman talks about, Elizabeth Newman, and in her label and, and, and all of her published studies, she studied 150 children over the course of 25 years, so from 75, 1975 to 2000, and then she published her work in 2003, stopped her research in, in 2000, uh, how she coined the term. This, her, 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 her study of 150 people, 150 kids, um, studied with the lens in the 70s of behavior is just that, something to be fixed, something to be eliminated. And so she, she, she put her label of, of PDA under the subset of, of autism from the understanding that autism is a behavior that needs to be fixed. Now, autism, the autistic community has made massive strides to understand the difference between how an autistic brain works compared to how a neurotypical non-autistic brain works and noticing that neither are wrong or broken and um, there's no right either. And so when you, when you understand that from a, from a core, um, uh, core difference, then we're not working on helping autistic people become, more, uh, become less autistic. We're helping their be major behaviors become um, less intense. And with that being said, for highly sensitive people to be mislabeled with PDA, then you, you run a significant risk of, of missing the fact that your child's nervous system and brain is wired differently. And so you're holding your child to the standard of a non-highly sensitive person, like me. <laughs> and when that happens, and, and maybe even like you as a parent, if you're not highly sensitive, when that happens, you look at your child like they're broken and they're, 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 until they become more like you, they will stay broken and they will stay stuck, weak, and struggling. And man, as a parent myself, uh, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? Um, to, to look at your child and, and think that they are they have core deficits because they're not like you, uh, because they're not like 80% of the population. So, so there's a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot to this PDA label that just doesn't really sit well. And you need to listen to that gut. Even if you don't have a master's degree in this and, and over 10 years of experience and a wealth of, of highly specialized uh, experience um, just by fate um, in, in terms of my professional background, and with that being said, we got to look at this, the, the history. So let me go back to this, okay? Um, Newman described PDA and, and coined it in 2000, 10 years after the highly sensitive trait was named in the United States. So she was late to the party and she didn't understand the personality trait. And so... As a result, a cultural fad in the UK festered under the, the guise of looking at these major behaviors as deficits in personality. Without the information that is now growing and actually more research is being done in the UK on the highly sensitive personality trait than in the United States right now, uh, given, given what's being published right now. Now, I, I don't know all the people who are researching who haven't published yet. Um, but, but we, you know, there are many, uh, research projects happening right now in the UK on the highly sensitive personality trait. 
And um, so 10 years after, right? And 30 years after sensitivity, as I mentioned before with, with Marsha Linehan's research, after sensitivity was studied and published in the mental health field as a personality trait without a name, okay? Marsha Linehan said some people are more sensitive and that is, um, that is something she put in her research and she discovered in her research and, um, and, and, and she's done double blind studies and, and, and um, was hired by the NIH to create the only, NIH and SAMHSA, to create the only evidence-based treatment to eliminate high, um, uh, the, the, the hardest mental health diagnosis to treat, the behaviors of the high, hardest mental health diagnosis to treat, which is, uh, uh, sorry, which is borderline personality disorder combined with the hardest substance abuse training, uh, uh, sub, sorry, substance abuse um, diagnosis to treat, which is heroin addiction. And so people with borderline personality disorder and, and are, who are also addicted to, to heroin uh, received treatment by Marsha Linehan. She was commissioned, again, um, because she was the only one who had created a training, a uh, treatment protocol that was working to relieve chronic suicidality and self-harm for borderline personality disordered clients, clients with this BPD personality trait um, diagnosis. And so they said, hey, maybe she can help us address those particular clients who had the lowest uh, success rate in, in substance abuse treatment for heroin addiction. And guess what? What do you know? She actually freaking did it. <laughs> Excuse my French. I just love that. Um, she did it. And it's called DBT-SUD, SUD, for substance, for substance use disorders. And, and I happen to have training in that. And so with that being said, in learning that uh, six, seven years ago, I don't know, I can't remember, um, I, I, I just doubled down in, in the clear understanding that the highly sensitive personality trait is not a damned trait. It is not something that your child needs to look at as, as, um, as a weakness. Um, it does not lead to... Um, an inevitable result. With that being said, Newman, you read her research, you talk, you, you, you follow the research of people who followed her, her coin. Uh, there is no treatment product protocol to eliminate the symptoms of what would, one would call pathological demand avoidance. Nothing's in the research. There are, however, uh, current proposed uh, research articles that discuss how uh, controversial the label is itself. So um, I have yet to come across a, any articles about how uh, the, the highly sensitive personality trait, sensory processing sensitivity, is controversial. Um, with that being said, there are plenty of people who don't understand sensory processing sensitivity and will call it quote unquote autism light, which is a whole lot of baloney. And um, that's why we're, we're, uh, why we're here talking today, because if you don't understand the personality trait, uh, then you will attribute some of the um, ineffective behavior responses of a highly sensitive child as um, similar to, uh, to, to the autistic personality and um, into, into the, the, the way an autistic person thinks and operates in the world and experiences the world as well. So let's get back to understanding PDA. Okay, so we have the history. We have the fact that there were parallel research projects going on and uh, in the United States, Linehan and Elaine Aaron learned of each other Elaine Aaron understands that DBT is effective for helping highly sensitive people who have developed borderline personality disorder eliminate the ineffective behavior. So Elaine Aaron uh, honors and respects the even more specialized treatment of DBT because there's parallel and support and validation that some people are born sensitive and it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't uh, put sensitive people in a place of lesser than, right? That's really important because when we look at those three parallel tracks of, of, of research being done around the same time, um, if two of them ag agree with each other and understand uh, that that one is is more due to, to one is one parallel tr one uh, research track is due to the, the extreme intensity of the behavior, right? Then um, then we're able to to 
make a, a much different um, conclusion, draw to a much different conclusion around the validity of PDA, okay? So, so when we understand this, right, um, being highly sensitive with ineffective behaviors um, for, for a child, it is much easier to help parents uh, understand the personality trait, break down the symptoms of shame, support your child in being able to playfully acknowledge that emotions are, are typical, normal, and a-okay, help you stay out of the way of judging your child, but also um, understanding expectations in a way where you're not making things worse. And again, no judgment. We help our clients do this all the time. And there's nothing wrong with you. You just have a different perspective of, of how to lead your child. And traditional parenting can't be it. And then, um, and then lastly, being able to do this in a systematic way so that your child doesn't feel like everything's wrong and that they're broken, right? And that in and of itself not only eliminates the daily meltdowns, because like I said, we've helped hundreds of families do the same thing, and also helps highly sensitive children thrive and no longer, longer not only exhibit those ineffective behaviors, which as a result means they wouldn't fit the criteria anymore of PDA, uh, but also helps your highly sensitive child thrive beyond high, uh, non-highly sensitive people. And that's what Pluis's research speaks about in the sense of, of understanding the bell curve, that highly sensitive kids who grow up in an invalidating environment, grow up on uh, the, the, the lower um, side of a bell curve in terms of 3% or three, sorry, three standard deviations away from the norm uh, in terms of ineffective behaviors and atypical behaviors and, and highly sensitive kids actually swing to the other end, two to three standard deviations above the norm in their behaviors, their performance, their academic success, and their emotional security. And that is science. <laughs> and that is what highly sensitive kids um, benefit from and are capable of when we change the parent-child dynamic. And this is again found, found in, in all sorts of um, of, of research around highly sensitive people. Now, research around PDA speaks of none of that. Uh, says that a meltdown can be categorized by a parent's report as a scream, a tantrum, a hit, or a kick. And also names um, meltdowns and, and PDA type uh, behaviors, criteria in the measure that they use as quote unquote outrageous or shocking behavior to get out of doing something. Now, what does that scream of? That screams of manipulation, that your child does not have the skill to not only get their needs met effectively, right, we know that, but also that your child wants to not do anything in life. Wait a minute, what child was put on this earth to be miserable? None. What child was put on this earth to be lazy bum? None, right? That's not how we're wired. No child is wired like this. Children are wired to feel capable, to feel loved, to, to understand that, that they, they, can, they can accomplish their goals, and that they have a hard time doing that, and that's up to us as parents to raise them effectively. Not as mental health providers to say, oh, tough nuts, that just is what it is. Might as well give them a sticker chart, tell them that they're being a bad kid and they'll only be a good kid if they do what we want them to. Man, that is just not gonna work out right? That's just not going to work out. We have seen countless times again and again and again that behavior modification, uh, sticker charts, timeouts, and um, shaming children by lecturing them and, and removing privileges that are, are, um, that are, that are uh, over the top, uh, groundings, sending your child to your room, holding the door, all of those, be those behaviors from a parent to try to modify behavior from a child not only are invalidating and help your child feel less than, less than themselves, not just less than you as an adult, but less than themselves, uh, dishonors the child's ability to feel capable, but also perpetuates the behavior and makes it worse. And yet, when you look at the typical quote-unquote treatment protocol for PDA, it's behavior modification. Stuff that I just named doesn't work and we see countless adults in the autistic community right now, um, specifically over the last several years, speaking out about the trauma that 
ABA work impacted for them. And now as adults, how they were able to recover from behavior modification treatment and needing countless years of therapy to, to do that. Um, and so when we hear, even from the, the adult autistic community, that quote unquote research evidence-based uh, treatment protocol um, is damaging and didn't actually do anything effective. And then we use that same illogical definition of treatment to bring outdated old labels to life in our current culture because you haven't heard about it, so maybe that means it's new and something to, to learn about, then we are doing our children a disservice. And I encourage you, if you haven't already, listen to my show on, on ABA and PCIT and other behavior modification like 123Magic, timeouts, anything like that, because those treatment modalities are stifling your child's voice, suffering them in, in stamping out their spirit and is perpetuating the problem that you are here to solve, which is to eliminate that meltdown cycle. And what works for parenting highly sensitive kids is improving your relationship with your child so that they feel heard, welcomed, and understood no matter the ineffective behavior that they have so that you can teach them effective behavior. And that has to be done playfully, not by ignoring their behavior. That has to be done in a way that you feel empowered so you don't get angry when you're tired and frustrated and exhausted so that you feel calm, cool, collected, and capable consistently, not because you're holding your lid on a boiling pot, but because you know and you trust that what you're doing is helping your child grow and flourish rather than just snuffing out the, the, a, a, a misdirected passion, right? Because if a child is, is giving a label of pathological, right, what is that? Antisocial, uh, broken, wrong, look up the word. Demand avoidance. What I hear is, that kid's clever. That kid's passionate. That kid has a mission for themselves. That kid has an unmet need or needs and needs to be able to be redirected in a way that helps them see that that is a skill set that needs to be flourished in a way that helps them become president of the United States rather than the president of a prison gang. And having worked with juvenile offenders in my career and being able to see how, um, how, how struggling teens can stay in this pattern or break out of it, There's a clear difference in being able to reach a child who has been constantly disrespected by adults and constantly dishonored and constantly labeled as a bad kid and not being able to do that. And you know what it is? It's a core understanding and a core communication of, I see you, I know you feel like crap. I know you don't wanna feel like this anymore. And I'm here to help you get out of this pattern that you have. And when, when serving children in the juvenile justice system, myself, my team members, we were able to impact these teens in a positive way by honoring the fact that they're humans, honoring the fact that they don't want to try to skirt around the rules because they don't value them. It's because they haven't felt valued themselves. And so when we take that experience and that understanding from a professional standpoint, and we help you raising your six-year-old, your seven-year-old, your eight-year-old who happens to be lying to you because they're worried and nervous about getting in trouble and helping you lead them in a way that they tell you the truth, not because you had to pry it out of them or threaten to take away privileges because that's all, the, all you thought you had as a skill set but that you, they are able to spontaneously share with you that they messed up and that they know they can do better and they know you'll help them do better, that 
is what eliminates risky behaviors for highly sensitive kids into highly sensitive adults around the world. That's what MTC is here to do. That's what we are here to do to break out of this pattern. And that is what po what's possible for your particular family now. You don't have to wait to see whether or not your teen will be motivated to live a different life in five years. You can change this, this dynamic now. And you can do it by clearly identifying your child's behavior, not as oppositional, not as defiant, not as manipulative, not as antisocial, but as an unmet need. And that their emotional intensity is okay, but their behavioral intensity is unsafe. And that's what needs to be changed so they can communicate their emotional intensity. And as a result, decrease their emotional intensity. They no longer have to scream from the rooftops in an ineffective way. If you're ready to break out of this pattern and you want our help to see if we can help you fix it, then I encourage you to book a call. Go ahead to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash talk. You'll get on the phone with one of our team members. And on that call, we will have a conversation about whether or not what you're struggling with and what goals you have is a, a gap that we can bridge between one and the other. If that's the case, then we'll share with you on that same phone call how to break out of this pattern and how to get started right away. Otherwise, if we know that, that you happen to find us and resonate, but what we do isn't what you need, we will tell you exactly how to find resources, whether that be in your local community or internationally uh, in your community and with a different expert to help you break out of this pattern. And that that, my friends, is exactly why we offer this call for free. Because if anything else, even if your child does fit the criteria for, uh, for being autistic and is autistic, we know how to help you honor your child's personality, how to, how, to, how to honor your child's neurodivergence, and how to do that in a way that also helps them make safe decisions with their behavior. And we have a network of experts that do that consistently, uh, that doesn't label them as broken, wrong, uh, malfunctioning or um, dysfunctional okay and so that is critical critical for our mission here that we work with people who know exactly who we are what we do and you're a perfect fit for us and that requires a phone call not only is trust built in a conversation but it's also a, uh, our, your needs are assessed in a conversation and that's why we do what we do and how we have, have those results. And uh, with that being said, we need to make sure, and it's on our, our hearts, uh, that we make sure that anybody comes our way is steered in the right direction so that you understand what will be helpful and what will be harmful. And, um, and, and, and so we, we look forward to having that conversation with you. Uh, we are honored to have that conversation with you. And we look forward to having that soon because there's no time like the present to break out of feeling like anybody in your family is broken. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.